Well, I'm going to see if uh, the kids would help me out today to start with. And so if, uh, if you count yourself as a young one, um, I'd, I'd ask you to come up. And, and what we're going to do is come right over here. And, it, and you guys can, you can come on the green. Don't go on to the blue. Don't go on. There we go. Good job, Caden. Thank you. Come on up. Come on up. Okay, so you can sit down, you can stand up. We'll be here for just a minute or two, especially if you're one of the tall ones. Sit down. Caden, that's you. Emmaus, that's you. Sit down. You're old now, Sonny. All right. Usually just seven, that's right. Okay, so here's my question for you today. You ready? What would you do if Christmas, like, just showed up? Randomly. Like, well, okay, I actually have a question before that. What, what do you have to do to get ready for Christmas morning? You wear pajamas? You wear, are they special Christmas pajamas? They are? And what happens if you're not in your Christmas? Do you wear pajamas, Sonny? Yeah? What happens if you're not in your Christmas pajamas? Whoa, Santa won't come to your house? He's just like, not this kid. He's not wearing the right pajamas. Do you get to open your presents if you're not in your Christmas pajamas? It's a rule. You have to be. So let's imagine, that's not true for every family, but let's imagine that that's true for every family, that you have to be wearing your Christmas pajamas. You have to be dressed right if you're going to open your presents on Christmas morning. Okay? We got that? All right. Now, what, what if Christmas didn't happen just on December 25th? What if it just like popped up randomly any day of the year, you don't know when? You just wake up one morning and the house is totally different and there's a Christmas tree up and it's full of presents and it's not like you've been waiting for a month and going up and shaking them and trying to open them secretly at night when your parents are asleep and then rewrap them so you can know what's going on, okay? What would you do if you had to wear your Christmas pajamas and you don't know what, when when Christmas is going to come. What do you think? What, what would you wear to bed every night? You see where I'm going, Nixon? Yeah? Where, what would you wear to bed every night if you had to wear your Christmas pajamas and you didn't know when Christmas morning was going to come? What pajamas? You would wear your Christmas pajamas every single night, right? Because maybe it's today. Maybe it's this night, right? So we're going to work on something. You guys want to see a lizard? Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's fruit snacks. Okay. You can take one. One. Miriam. Don't be sneaky. Go ahead. All right. You can take one. Okay. Okay. You're welcome. Now, here's the thing. You guys got a little taste? Okay, there are going to be fruit snacks throughout the sermon today. But you don't know when it's going to come. And you got to be ready when it does come. So let's come up with a signal. Okay? What signal should we have? What? No, I don't like that signal. I got an idea. I got an idea, okay? So here's my idea. I'm going to go like this. Okay? 
And whenever I go like this, I need, if you want a fruit snack, you have to go whoop, whoop. Okay? So I'm going to give a little finger dance, and you have to give me a whoop, whoop. Okay? And if you give, if I hear a whoop, whoop, then you get a fruit snack. But you got to be ready, and you got to be watching, and you can't be unprepared. Got it? Okay, go sit back down with your parents. Better be watching. All right. So here's what we're going to do today. 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Let's see if I can get words out of my mouth today. Oh, where are you first? There we go. There we go. All right. So this is what Paul writes. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night or like a fruit snack from a mug. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Lord God, use these words to help us stay ready, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been through this before. I've got some very attentive little eyes looking at me right now. <laughs> feel like I'm training dogs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we've been through this before, but in Thessalonica, Paul went to this place on his second missionary journey, right? He went on his second missionary journey. He planted this church but he only had like six or eight or maybe 12 weeks with him. He was just there for a few months. He didn't have a long time. And because he didn't have a long time, he kind of didn't get too, uh, he didn't get too deep into everything that he needed them to learn, right? He didn't, he wasn't able to kind of press in. So it's sort of like he gets there to Thessalonica and he's teaching and preaching. He convinces, he's able to, to gather a certain number of people. But as, as he's teaching and preaching, eventually he, he kind of encounters some resistance. You, you know this. You've heard this. It's all in Acts 16. And because of that resistance, he has to leave town. And he doesn't get to spend the time that he wants with his church. And so there are a few things that get missed. And when he sends his friend Timothy back to see how they're doing, Timothy brings a report. And one part of the report is, A, um, it seems like they're they're not loving each other exactly as much as they should. Right. Oh, okay, all right. So they're not loving each other exactly as much as they should, right? They're doing okay, but 
but they could definitely grow in that area. And so Paul has some things to say for them. That's good, man. Paul has some things to say at the end of chapter 4 about how they could love one another better. Did you earn it? Were you ready? It's okay. I should have act, I should have checked with the parents beforehand. But. All right, so so Paul has kind of a you were mm, all right because God's because His mercy is more, David. <laughs> so so they're they're doing well, but they're not they're not loving quite as well as they could. They've they've got some places to grow, and not only that, but it looks like maybe they've let some of the kind of cultural uh, practices of the Greco-Roman world that they live in grow up around them, right? And so so one of those things that Paul speaks to in chapter 4 is is their sexual practices, and he kind of confronts them on that. He speaks to them on that lovingly, but he's correcting them, right? And then the last thing that we sort of have here that he spends a chunk of time on is their understanding of the second coming their understanding of what it means that Christ is going to come again. So we're aware of kind of Christmas and Christmas morning and all of that, and the fact that Christmas means that Christ has come, that God has united himself to humanity, and that he has been made one, both fully God and fully human, in Jesus Christ. We're aware of the fact that that man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is also God, didn't didn't grab onto life for himself. Right? He didn't just say, well, great, I'm God. I guess that means I get to live forever. No, he actually goes out and lays down his life at the cross. We're aware of the fact that on the third day after his crucifixion, he is raised from the dead. We're aware of the fact that our sins are forgiven because of the cross and the resurrection. Right? But oftentimes, we kind of get lost in between the resurrection and where we are. And we start to focus and get our eyes stuck on something else. The thing it seems that the Thessalonians were worried about was that the people that they loved who died, Paul says they fell asleep, would not get to live in the kingdom of God because they had died before Jesus came back. Right? So it was like the way they understood it, Paul didn't get a chance to teach them, but the way they understood it, you had to be awake You had to be aware. You had to be alive when Jesus came back from the dead. And if you died, bummer, death got you, right? And and death gets to do with you whatever it wants. They, They hadn't quite grasped the fact that in the cross and in the empty tomb, Jesus has actually defeated death so that there is no one that death gets that Jesus can't get back. Right? There is no power that death has that is greater than the power that Christ has. And so Paul, last week we talked about, has to correct this understanding. So many of us, when we're young in the faith, kind of go straight to the weird stuff. Have you ever noticed that? It's like you get into the Bible, and you're like, yeah, 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 I heard Jesus died on the cross, whatever. Like, let's, let's move on. Like, tell me about Revelation 17 and 18. I want to know about the battle, Right? <laughs> And we go straight to the strangest, weirdest, hardest thing to understand. Like you just took a high school physics class, got a B minus, and you want to know about black holes. The fact is that there is kind of this 
growth to come into these things. And when we push ahead impatiently, when we refuse to be fully formed, but we say we're going to kind of do this our way, we end up in this sort of weird place where maybe we have some right information, but we're formed wrong. Right information, but wrong formation. We don't have the wisdom to actually deal with the knowledge that we have. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when you're 10 or 12 years old and you learn that those are a fruit. And then you try to put them in a fruit salad. And it's like, don't do that. They, they don't belong in a fruit salad. <laughs> right? Just because they're a fruit doesn't mean they go with cantaloupe. That's, there is wisdom ahead of you. And so, not only do we need the right information, but we need to be formed properly. It's not unlike when I was 17 years old and learning to drive. And my dad said, you got to learn to drive stick first. <laughs> you can have an automatic car eventually, but you're going to start with a stick shift. And so we go out, and, and he could sit there, and he could tell me how to shift, and he could tell me how to put in the clutch, and how to slowly let out the clutch and, and engage the accelerator. He could kind of tell me all of this. But it didn't actually matter until I did it, right? It didn't actually matter until I could get it into my body, until I could feel the rhythm of my feet making these moves. I didn't just need information. I needed formation. And even then, it takes years to actually do it really well. It takes time until I'm not worried about going downtown in Santa Rosa and always inevitably ending up on a hill with a Porsche behind me, right? And just knowing, like, this is not going to go well and doing the whole e-brake thing and trying to get it. And it just takes time for us to come into the faith and to be formed in a way that we can actually take that information and use it well. And such a big part of that is when we come to things like the second coming, the coming of Christ, this fact that we know that in Christ, history doesn't move in circles, right? We're not in this kind of reincarnate sort of state where we're born and then we die and then maybe we come back around. We just give it another go, right? That is not the story that Scripture tells. That was very much the story of the Thessalonians. That was the story of the Greco-Roman world, is that the world kind of went up and came down, and then somebody kind of balled it up like a piece of paper and threw it away and started over again. And Paul comes in to say, no, we got to understand this the way the God of Israel understands this, which is that there is a creation, and that when God created the world, he created the world very good. He didn't make the world with a bunch of traps in it. right? He didn't make the world to get us. He made the world good, and he made the world good to glorify himself, and that we would participate in that glory. But in our short-sightedness and pride, we rebelled against God. There is this fall that comes with it. But God, because he's loving, didn't let us just go until we destroyed ourselves. He intervened, and he intervened to save us and to redeem us and to get us back. And that's essentially the story of Scripture that God calls this people Israel to himself to say, 
I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not just going to let you destroy yourself. There is a way out. I'm going to make myself known to you. I'm going to give you a book to read. I'm going to give you a people who you can look at their life and see what kind of God I am. And finally, he actually comes himself. So that we don't just look at a people out there, but we can look at one person, Jesus of Nazareth. And if you want to know what God is like, you look at him. And everything else flows out from that. This creation and and fall and redemption, which comes through the cross and the empty tomb. But that historically is all in the past for us. What's tricky is that there is also a new creation. We forget sometimes that God's goal is not to get us out of this world so he can hang out with us because we're his BFFs. God's goal is to restore and renew all of creation of which we are a part. And yes, creation is broken. And creation is sick. And creation is not working the way it ought to work. But God's absolute commitment is that it would be restored. That it would be renewed. Creation and fall and redemption and new creation. Instead of just going around in circles, we understand that there is an arc to this, that it's going somewhere. This is not the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's just going to be another movie and another movie and another movie, no matter how much you feel like they're finally wrapping it up, right? They know that there's more money to be made. God is actually taking this whole story in a direction. But it's maybe not the way that we expect. (laughs) It's maybe not the way that we expect, right? Paul says, Paul says to them, oh, sorry, Miriam. Mama said you weren't paying attention. We'll get you next time. You don't want any. Can you give yours to Miriam? She looks a little sad. Here you go. Caden is very kind. I know, but Caden's merciful. That's why. All right. So what Paul actually says is that it's going to come like labor pains, right? It's going to come like labor pains, which is kind of a funny thing. It's kind of a funny metaphor because everybody knows that labor pains come at a particular time. You even have a due date, like a doctor will tell you when. And you might agree or disagree with that due date. Right, But there is a day. There there is a certain number of weeks. And so labor pains, on the one hand, they kind of come out of nowhere. right? On the one hand, you sit around and you wait. When Emmaus was born, we were up in the hospital for five days. (laughs) Because they were trying to get him out a little bit early. And we were like, where are these labor pains? We're ready for labor pains. We're excited for labor pains, and there were no labor pains. Right? Day after day after day. Miriam was a little bit different. We were hanging out, and then all of a sudden, boom. We get to the hospital, and they're like, you are very ready, (laughs) right? And so on the one hand, there is this sort of sense. There is this idea. There's this general sort of era in which these labor pains are going to come. On the other hand, you never know exactly when. And the notion that 
oh man, it's going to be October 11th, 2011, right? Or it's going to be six months after that because it didn't come the first time, right? Or it's going to be a year and a half after that because it didn't come the second time. This idea that we're going to be able to predict it or see it is just misguided, and it just misses the point. It misses the point completely. Because hear me on this. The point of the second coming for us as Christians in this period of history where we live is not to be able to guess when it's going to happen. The point is that we become the kind of people who are ready when it does. That we become the kind of people who go to bed with our Christmas pajamas on because you don't know what morning it's going to show up. And it might just be today. And when we get sloppy, when we get, ah, it won't be this week. Ah, it won't be this year. Let me cheat on my taxes. I got more time to repent. Right? Let me screw over my neighbors. I know Jesus isn't coming today. Right? Let me neglect my own personal development. Because there's no way that this actually happens now. When we become a people who get complacent, who start to think that it's not really that big of a deal, we become a people who miss it. There has been, in our kind of corner of the world, of the Christian world, this notion of the second coming as, as a rapture is the word that gets used, right? This, the, and the idea that I grew up with, I, I don't know if there are, there's probably slightly more complex visions of it, but, but the idea that I grew up with is that one day all Christians will just be gone, right? All Christians will just be gone from the earth, and depending on what you watch, there'll be you know, piles of clothes on the floor and contact lenses on the chair and, and that whole kind of thing. And the root of it is in this idea that Jesus is coming and it will be, as they say, in a twinkling of an eye. And then he will come with power and authority and finality. And that it's, it's not going to be something anybody can kind of debate about. It'll be like, did Jesus come? No, like, you're going to know it. You're going to know it, right? But, but here's my, my problem with that idea. And I understand that the rapture is really a part of a whole kind of multi-stage thing that happens, and that it's not the glorious appearing, and this whole sort of thing. But I want to push back against the idea of the rapture kind of in toto. And here's why. There's a few reasons. Here's what I think the rapture gets wrong. The first is that God is not seeking to save us from tribulation. God is not seeking to save us from challenge or difficulty. Over and over again in the scriptures, sorry, Clara, it's true. Like, he, God doesn't seek to save his people from hard times. He enables them to push through and survive those hard times by his grace with his spirit. He makes us a people who can persevere because in that, we are made like Christ. Jesus himself did not avoid suffering. Jesus himself went through suffering. He went through the cross. He went all the way down into death. Peter says to preach to the souls that were in prison. That's another sermon. 
But the point is, he did not avoid it. Sit down. He did not avoid it. Okay? And we're not called to avoid it either. We're called to be a people who can endure. And I know that we can because God has sent his spirit to be with us. I'm sure that the early martyrs in those first few hundred years of the church would have appreciated a little bit of rapture. But instead, what they got was a whole lot of tribulation. What they got was a whole lot of suffering. And what they did was so wonderful is that they refused to give in. They accepted their suffering as a part of the life of Christ and trusted that God would be with them even in their poverty, even in their loss, even oftentimes in their death. And it started the most incredible thing in the history of the world, which was the church. The second thing I think the rapture gets wrong is that it creates a sense that heaven, or kind of the real thing, is off somewhere else. That, that God's world is in another place, and that it do, we have to go somewhere else if we're going to get to God's world. But there's this wild thing in the scriptures, there's this wild thing in the Christian understanding, is that the things that we do in this life, the things that we do in this body, echo for eternity. The choices that we make and the lives that we live, they matter because in Jesus Christ, God has brought the divine and the human together. In Jesus Christ, God has allowed the creator to become creation. We understand how strange that is, but the, the word who spoke creation into existence has actually become a child in the womb of a woman from Nazareth. And in that overlap, there is this moment where all of a sudden, everything that we do and think and say takes on new significance. Everything that we ponder and wrestle with has its roots in the very givenness and goodness of God. This God who created the world good gives us work to do. And the new heavens and the new earth that God is bringing is not simply something that's far off in another place. He's called us here into this place to bear fruit. Some of the work we do will bear fruit that leads to death. And hopefully, more of the work that we do by God's grace bears fruit that leads to life. Lastly, I think the rapture often teaches us to disregard this world rather than taking a part in God's redemption. What I hope we can see in Jesus is that the very stuff of creation, like I just said, is the new world that God is bringing. And it's got to be transformed. It's got to be transfigured. But he's given us responsibility and accountability for the people and places and things that he's put us near. And this is the world that God will save. 
And so here's what I want you to think about. Rather than looking out and going, okay, what can I do to kind of build the kingdom out there, right? That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to make heaven happen here. Okay? But what we are called to do, starting with ourselves, is to build up the kind of character that will fit in the new world. To build up the kind of person that will be at home in the place that God is bringing. And that's kind of the confession question for us today. The kind of person that I am. I mean, look at yourself and think about yourself. The kind of person that I am, will I be at home in the world that God is going to bring? Will I be at home in the new heavens and the new earth? Am I wearing my Christmas pajamas? Okay. <laughs> so I was just checking, right? <laughs> Am I wearing the kind of clothes that are going to make me ready for the world that God is bringing? We've seen it in different places. It's the clothes of love. Enjoy? Anybody else? Tom? Well, I, what, I, my question is, what kind of clothes do we need to wear in that place? The, I mean, we can start with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, the ability to resist snacks, right? Kindness, justice, gentleness, self-control. This is where we start, but it's not where God is satisfied to end. You can even see it here in 1 Thessalonians, right? Paul says, uh, where does he say it? He says it in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, right? We are not a people of the night. We are not a people who are trying to avoid things. We're not out here trying to pretend like our lives are not really our lives. We're not out here trying to just leave that feeling aside by getting drunk and pushing through. We are a people of the day. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope, salvation. What's Paul saying? He's saying, get dressed. Get ready. Be the kind of people who are ready for this new kingdom. And let us not be a people who say, I'll learn to suffer later. I'll get my greed under control later. God will have to free me from whatever that addiction or habit or anxiety or despair is in heaven. Because I can't actually address it now. In the Christian story, the world of heaven is overlapping with the world that we live in here and now, the good news of heaven, that restoration, that fullness, that hope, that entire sanctifying life bleeds into the world that we live today. In Christ, we've already seen the new creation. The new ages have come. And how things will be has already appeared in Christ. Sometimes, we struggle to imagine what that's like. And frankly, I'm not fully redeemed and glorified, so I don't know that I can tell you. And God hasn't given me that particular vision. 
But a line that I love. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who has either gone through something or maybe they've gotten or, or, or something and, and you encounter them again and you just go, boy, they're like a shadow of their former self, right? We know that phrase. They're a shadow of their energy. They're a shadow of their vitality. They're a shadow of their creativity and imagination and hope and all this stuff. And you, you meet somebody and it's just like, oh, what happened? The best way I've ever understood this is that the people that we will be in heaven, the people that we will be in the new creation, the people that we will be in Christ, we are now just a shadow of our future self. You at your very best, you at, at your physical and mental and spiritual peak, the very best of your whole life rolled up into a ball and compressed and, and blasted into one minute of your life is just a shadow of your future self. It's still you. There's still connection. It's not like you become a different person. But God is going to redeem and, and unlock and renew. So often we think about who we are as our weakness. All the things we're not good at, but God is going to unlock the life God is going to unlock the truth of who we are. And so, my prayer today is that we'll listen to Paul's exhortation to be children of the light and not children of the night. To be children of the day who stay awake in, in watchfulness and sobriety. Who don't and, and Honestly, I think this is like the particular demon of our age. We can absolutely just entertain ourselves to death. And it's not even stuff that anybody would frown on. It's perfectly fine, neutral, good stuff. And sometimes not, but... But a lot of times it's like, it's fine. And we can just go from day to day and, and kind of try to dull and numb the pain. And there's 40,000 ways that you can do that this afternoon. But God in some ways is calling us to stay awake. To feel the sorrow. To feel the pain. And to be willing to sit in that pain, knowing that in it he keeps us awake. He keeps us watchful. Not to lose focus. So as we come to the table, my prayer is that we'll be able to lay down those things that so easily entangle and instead, pick up some habits, pick up some practices, pick up some ways of life. Maybe it's a person you call. Maybe it's actually meeting God in that time that you promised you'd meet him. Maybe it's shifting a little bit of the media that you consume. Maybe it's changing just a bit of the relationships and the friendships that are around you. But, but making those shifts, not just to be good, but so that we stay awake.
so that we don't find ourselves numbing ourselves, numbing our way through our pain, but we're open and ready to see and to know that God's good kingdom is coming. And not only is it coming in the future, it has already come in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this group of people, for this church. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have brought us to this place and that you've enabled us to worship you this morning. And so often, Lord, we don't know what it is that we're called to do. But I trust, Lord Jesus, that as we grow in you, as we seek you out, that we will be able to serve and to know you, to stay awake and aware. Help us, Lord, to be a people, not a people of the night, but a people of the day. We ask it in your name.